Hello, hello, hello. I am so happy to be back together again. Welcome to another season of Center Saint Sister. This is a podcast where we gather together and we put our heads and our hearts together and we make room for all kinds of emotions and we have brilliant guests with new ideas and hopefully we arrive at some more peaceful place in the midst of this chaotic world. Um, I love the community that we're building here. We have a stellar lineup this season. Please consider subscribing on YouTube and share sharing episodes with friends, and leaving reviews. All of these things help us grow, and I hope you hear something today that helps you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. I am a Christian, I am a feminist, and I am pro-life. And it's funny because the world says that these things don't go together. But I think they go together perfectly. But I do know what the world means. There are problems with all of these descriptors, and I don't fit any of them neatly. I guess that's called intersection. My Christianity, it's about following Jesus and loving my neighbor as myself. My feminism is about the radical notion that women are people too and should have equal rights. My pro-life activism, it's about protecting life from conception to natural death. And every single one of these things has human dignity in common, so I think they go together perfectly. But it's true that the terms, well, maybe not the terms, perhaps what people have done with the terms, can sometimes make me bristle. Because people who are on the outside of Christianity, they might hear the term Christian and have a very specific idea of what that might mean. It's been blamed for wars, abuse, justifying evil like slavery, for fanning the flames of of racism, homophobia, and some really bad movies and music. A lot of what has passed for Christianity doesn't really fit the gospel. Likewise, people who hear the term feminism who are not a feminist, they might have a very specific idea about what, they, what that means. Feminists are known to be shrill or violent, maybe man-hating, responsible for the breakdown of the nuclear family or decline of the church, the downfall of real manhood, hurricanes. <sighs> a lot of what has passed for feminism has been very harmful to women. Also, people who are not pro-life might have a very specific idea of what that looks like. Because pro-life activists can be much more allegiant to the cause than to the dignity of life, where it seems like they only care about life inside the womb, only anti-abortion, not really pro-life, pro-birth instead, just ignoring a host of other ills that plague our society. And the bottom line is that there are things Christians do that I find wrong and embarrassing and unholy that are counter to the gospel. And there are things that feminists do that I find wrong and embarrassing and unholy and counter to the cause. And there are things that pro-lifers do that I find wrong and embarrassing and unholy and terribly ironic. But here I am, all three, a Christian, a feminist, and pro-life. Legitimately, my pro-life role model is Jesus. And then it's Destiny Herndon de la Rosa. Remember that name. Trust me. Please, please, as a prelude to this interview, go back and listen to our first interview, which is season five, episode four, Pro-Life, Whole Life. If you care about this topic, I promise you won't be sorry. Listen to that episode first and then come back here. Destiny and her movement, her organization, New Wave Feminists are in the trenches of pro-life work. And she sits down with me here for one of her very first interviews post Roe versus Wade being overturned. I expected a fiery guest. She always is. In an impassioned interview, she knows no other way. Full of next steps and marching orders. That's what I thought I would get. But instead, I got a heartsick hero, weary with worry over what is to come next. Never more have I wanted to reach through my computer and hug a guest. She would have, at first, of course, resisted. But I didn't want to give up until she eventually just gave in and settled in, allowing, perhaps for a first, herself to be the one being nurtured. I so badly wanted to give Destiny what she selflessly, tirelessly, sometimes even dangerously, offers to others. A chance to rest, space to grieve, and permission to feel. This is an honest interview. It's a peek inside the heart of someone walking with the oppressed, the marginalized, the afraid. Listen to her. I certainly do. Sinners, saints, sisters, do you need a speaker for your event? Do you need someone to lead your retreat? 
It would be all my joy to serve and spread God's love to you and the people you gather with compassionate leadership, Bible-based teaching, authentic life stories, and a lot of laughter at heart. You can reach me at centersaintsister at gmail.com. Destiny! I'm so um, thrilled that you're here. You really are truly one of my very favorite humans. The reasons are a little complex, but one of the biggest reasons is your sense of humor because here you are like changing the world and you're making fun of yourself while you do it. And frankly, that's just a leader that I can get behind. Um, you're very fierce. Oh, thank you're you. Very brave. And you have this very fiery conviction that all life should be valued and you fight for it so consistently that your arguments are near impossible to poke holes in. And I'm sorry, but frankly, there's just something really fun about following someone who's funny, brave, and right. Holy <laughs> this crap. is just can, can this, a lot of fun for me. Um, can this be the whole podcast? I'm going to end on that. that was, easily, easily. You. Yes. But um, <laughs> frankly, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. Like you are my absolute uh, pro-life role model. Um, I always, as I've been talking about my own pro-lifedom lately, I've been, I've been enjoying saying that I am broadly pro-life when I feel like a need to clarify, because often you feel a need to clarify. And I like what I'm, yeah, what I mean by that actually is that, no, I'm a new wave feminist kind of pro-life. I'm a destiny You're kind consistent. of pro-life. You're yeah. consistently <laughs> pro-life. <laughs> yes. Well, anyways, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. We thought that we were going to get together and talk about something really pedestrian, like, I don't know, burnout. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then this overturning happened, this overturning of um, Roe v. Wade. And I started interrupting your vacation um, with yeah, because because we, we weren't burned out enough. We still had that, like one percent <laughs> battery left, and we were like, you know what? We can't really do a podcast about burnout until we are fully freaking burned out. So like, that's let's right. Go hard. That's yeah. right. Um, so here we are to introduce yourself to listeners. Destiny, will you please tell us um, about New Way Feminist and who y'all are serving right now? Yeah, so New Wave Feminist is a consistent life ethic group. So that's kind of the way that we're broadly pro-life. We believe in protecting the vulnerable from violence from womb to tomb, that all human beings should be living free from violence. So that's, you know, being anti-death penalty, anti-war, pro-migrant. We talk about racial justice a lot, um, you know, kind of the full spectrum. And then we extend it into the womb when humans are at their weakest and most vulnerable by also being pro-life, but not kind of in a classical sense where the focus is just on the unborn child. I would say we're we're realist when it comes to the fact that women are facing um, incredibly difficult situations that makes this a very complex and totally unique type of situation. And so we personally were not a group that was trying to overturn Roe or focused on the laws because we feel like the root issue is actually so much bigger. And it's it's systemic, systemic issues that tend to kind of push women uh, towards that decision. So right now we're currently uh, a lot of our efforts are going to Juarez, Mexico, where we're working on a shelter that we're hoping to have open in the next few months. And it's actually going to be a consistent life ethics center. So a shelter for migrant moms, um, and then also a health clinic that offers just well woman care and also prenatal resources. And then um, a space where we can kind of meet and build power with local activists and, um, you know, train people in what the CLE actually is and what a consistent life ethic looks like and how it plays out. Mm hmm. Okay. So women at the border, I recently read something that you wrote. I'm going to post it in uh, show notes. You recently wrote something. I'm so sorry. I should have the title handy right now and I don't, but um, it was very beautifully written and I didn't realize that you were also doing work in Uganda. Will you tell us about that? Yeah. So we work with a group called Rescue Women's Foundation over in Uganda and um, they're just amazing. Like they are serving the most vulnerable population there. So a lot of it is very, very young girls who are pregnant through sexual assault. And so they're coming to the shelter. They, you know, want to continue their pregnancies. They just need support. That's also something we see a lot in Mexico, you know, kind of this American narrative is if you are pregnant through sexual assault, obviously you want to have an abortion. We're going to use you and erase you and make you an argument for why we need abortion all the time. But there is actually a, quite a few women who want to continue their pregnancy, even after experiencing this horrific, horrific, devastating assault, but they need counseling. They need therapy. They need reconstructive healthcare. I mean, honestly, like really horrific things are happening in Uganda. Um, and so just being able to support the work they're doing, I think is, is kind of where our focus is right now, because we're also very cognizant 
of this kind of white savior mentality that goes along with a lot of like, I, I grew up Protestant. So in mission trips and things like that, where it's like, oh, we're going to go in and, you know, I'm, I'm 14. I know how to build a church. No, you, you probably don't. There's probably someone who can do it better, but how can you go in and support the work that's already happening in these places? And so I think finding experts in the community, finding groups like Rescue Women's Foundation, that this is their community. They know what they're doing. And then just supporting them um, through birthing kits and things like this. In Uganda, if a woman becomes pregnant, she actually has to supply all of this, the needs that she has for the birth at the hospital before they'll see her. So a lot of women can't afford, you know, these $50 worth of just birthing kits, gloves and sheets and, um, you know, a blanket for the baby, stuff like that. And so they'll end up delivering literally in toilets and in ditches and, and stuff. So when we can help them just have a birthing kit, that's something incredibly empowering. Um, and the women over there go and get all the supplies locally, put them mm -hmm. together. Like we try to do it in the most ethical way possible to really kind yeah. of help the economy there and help the women there. And then, you know, help them with their education, um, sponsor them. I've got my little heart and soul. Her name's Besmira and she is going to beauty school right now. Oh. And so I got to go pick out like makeup kits for her and, yeah. and ship some of the stuff over there that they didn't have. So it's really, um, I don't know. It's just, they are doing beautiful work. We just get to be kind of a behind the scenes support system on it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, you know, in your work, Destiny, you've always been so wholly committed um, to reducing abortions um, by examining who's having them and why. And so banning abortions doesn't end them. Um, we know that. And so you've spent your career learning why women seek abortions and then addressing those barriers that lead them to making that choice. And so um, from my vantage point, and you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, you've never really focused on the legality. And I'm sure this is, to me, what makes you a unicorn in the movement is that you have an agnostic approach. You're, you know, you're, you're secular. Um, you're a political nomad. And you have not like laser focused on, on, on legality. Um, these all must have been choices that you've made along the way. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I also think I'm the typical millennial, right? Because studies, legit study, I'm a statistic, studies show that we're leaving institutions. So political parties, uh, academic institutions, religious institutions. So I'm 100% an amalgamation of all of that mm. at this point. And it's because all of these places lacked that consistency. And politically, um, I, I just started seeing these quote unquote pro-life politicians who were talking about cutting off supply, but not demand. They weren't actually addressing the demand side. And I know from personal experience, my mom was 19 when she got pregnant with me. I had to move back home. Uh, it took her a decade to finish college. So when people ask like, okay, are, were you pro-life first or a feminist first? I was both because that makes me irate. You know, the fact that I was literally a liability to her future success. And yet she believed in science and she knew I was a human being. And so she chose life for me, which was amazing. And she's my pro-life feminist icon, right? For doing yeah. that. But she struggled more than she had to. If we lived in a truly equitable society where women weren't penalized for their fertility, like it would have been a whole different story for both of us. And then when I was 16, I became pregnant myself, which was, um, you know, just repeating this cycle that I knew how hard it was as the child. And then here I was as the adult, but it's when I really had to kind of firm up those beliefs. Like, do I just yeah. think this, or am I actually going to act on this? And, um, so my son actually, he just turned 21. He just moved out on his own, which is crazy. And that's a whole other uh -huh. weird world that I'm in now. Like I, I've lived more years with this human being than I've lived without him. So it's, it's been kind of a wild ride and I miss him a lot. He came over last night cause we just got cats and he's trying to steal one. So <laughs> I, I get to see him. I'm, he pops back in every once in a while. But um, yeah, so I think through that, like I know my mom's story, I know what made it possible for her to choose life, you know, was being able to, you know, she was down in Austin at UT, moved back up to Dallas with my grandparents. Um, and so had a roof over her head, food in her mouth, you know, clothes on her back, health insurance. And then the same was true for me. That's the reason that I never even considered abortion because I knew, okay, I got to get this human being to the starting line. 
but I also recognize the privilege I had in that. I had a support mm. system. I didn't have a family yeah. kicking me out. I didn't have, yeah. you know, an abusive partner that was forcing mm-hmm. me to do this. Yeah. So when I look at those situations, I don't say, okay, well, abortion is the solution in those situations because that doesn't stop the abuse. That doesn't stop the family breakdown and the lack of social support, right? We need to look at the actual root causes. Why does a woman feel like she has to choose abortion? And it is because of these societal ills. It's because of a brokenness that's in our world. So how do we actually address the brokenness and not just put this band-aid solution of abortion on everything? Exactly. So this culture of life, right? I I read something and it said, um, a just society will protect life, but a moral society will value life. And it's an interesting point that's being made um, because protection is good. I mean, protection is necessary, but it does nothing to create a culture of life. Banning abortions doesn't end them, but a culture of life will. Um, You have always said that it's not about making them illegal. It's about making them unnecessary. I'd love for the listeners to hear you elaborate on that. Yeah, I think, yeah, we definitely talk about making them unthinkable and unnecessary and unthinkable comes from humanizing the child in the womb, giving people basic biological scientific facts, which is what I grew up having. Like we had a copy of that life magazine that had the pictures in utero on our coffee table my whole life. So that's why this was never a religious issue for me. It was always a very science based issue for me. Um, So that's the unthinkable part. The unnecessary part is creating that system that actually helps, um, resource families and communities and women so well that abortion is just not necessary. It it would be an afterthought. It would be something unthinkable because why would I need to do that when I'm so supported? And, you know, back to your point about like, you know, protection, it's funny because I've actually thought a lot about this, like through, I've been married now 17 years. And when you first get married, right. And you have this relationship, there's a difference between protection and control and protection comes from like loving somebody and giving of yourself and wanting to protect Mm. control comes from just saying like, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to do this. So I'm going to like cut this off. Mm. And unfortunately I see that reflected kind of with Roe right now. Right. Like it's not about protecting because if it was about protecting, we would be loving women well. We would be loving the unborn child well. We would be creating this culture of life. I'm seeing it more in the control vein of we're just going to make sure that you can't do this. But then, and and out of a fear, right? This fear-based place that, well, if you're given the option you're going to, well, why is a woman going to? Because we haven't protected her. We haven't protected the unborn child. We haven't created this society. And so they're falling back on control. And I think that's, that is the shift that we ultimately need. Um, because you're right. Like I, it's, abortions are not going to stop just because Rose overturned. It's just, it's not going to happen. The desperation yeah. a woman feels when that second line shows up is so real. And you just, your whole world crumbles around you. And if there is not someone there to look to who says, I've got you, we've got you, we're the sisterhood, we're the community, we're the family, we're going to walk with you through this. She's going to do desperate things and she's going to be hurt. The child's going to be hurt. Um, we just have to do better. Okay. So <laughs> Destiny, <laughs> how are you feeling right now? Like this is, this is a crazy moment in time for people. Well, for all people, but especially for you who is right there in the trenches, I have to ask, I mean, how are you? How are you doing? You want like a real answer? Yeah. Um, so, okay. A couple of years ago, I went to this retreat with a group of women. They were all Protestant and Catholic and they had, my friend Amy Ford had this, I, I don't want to call her a Christian fortune teller. I don't know what she was. She came in and she did this weird like mind game with us where she asked us a whole bunch of questions really quickly. And the trick was to get your brain to give like really deep answers. And so it was like, where would you go on vacation if you had $2 million? Like, who would you take with you? Da, da, da. What, what's the one thing you would ask God if you could? And I'm solidly agnostic, but I believe in a higher power. And so all the questions were kind of silly and you write them down real quick. And I remember we're going around the circle and everybody was answering and the Christian fortune teller, which is not what she is at all. But anyway, she looked at me and she said like, you know, Hey, you haven't answered one. Will you answer this one? Like, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? And I wrote this down as a joke, dude. Like when I was writing it real fast, it was like a joke. And when it came out of my mouth, I started sobbing. And the, the question I would ask God, if there even is a God is, am I working for Satan? And this is a, like a jokey thing in my head. Like, just cause I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. 
but I have felt that so much. Holy shit. It can't happen Aww. again. Not on your podcast. Oh, like sister, the last sister. shut up. Don't you're making it worse. Cause now I'm going to cry. No, I'm going to rally. I'm not going to cry. So here's the thing. I am super terrified right now that like yeah. I'm yeah. doing bad, right. That mm. I'm actually hurting the cause because mm. I am talking not about the legality, about the reality that women are facing. And yeah. I find that, that I am so much more in line with pro-choicers right now. I am so much in line in, with the journalists who are attacking pro-lifers right now. Like we are the ones who are like, yes, hundred percent, this, this, this. And it's not, it's not that I don't want children in the womb protected. Obviously I do. Obviously no, I do. I, know. I just feel like there is a wrong way to do the right thing. And I think that this is what's happened right now. And it's gotten to the point where for a full week, I quit taking interviews because I was like, yeah. I'm spilling all the tea and I'm talking yeah. too much. And I'm, right. I'm bitching about my people so much right now that like, it just yeah. felt this ugliness in my heart because yeah. when everybody, I was actually at the national right to life convention when Roe came down. And so these are people who have been at it since the sixties and they are just cheering and celebrating. They never thought this day of would course. come. Right. And I just went up to my room and I like wept like a guttural, like yeah. wept. Yeah. Like, and that feels wrong. Like I yeah. shouldn't, as a pro-life person, I shouldn't have had that reaction. And so now I'm scared. Like, am I wrong right now? And am I just spreading my wrongness to a whole bunch of other uh, people? Like that's, that's the real answer. Probably feel. I know. I, yeah. Satan? I don't know. I don't, maybe. So maybe don't God, listen to me. <laughs> God bless you for letting us in on the complexity. God bless you for letting us in behind the scenes, for lifting the curtain just a little bit, because I'm sorry, but if you're not having an oh shit moment right now, then I'm, then you're not doing the work. Then you're not, then you're not doing anything. You're not there in the trenches because I mean, let's just face it. Like this is maybe a whole other episode, Destiny, but people are afraid. People are terrified. People are afraid that they're not going to be able to get treatment for, you know, ectopic pregnancies and and please like debunk all of these fears, but these are real fears that people are bringing up. Right. But they're not going to be able to get treatment for their miscarriages or any other pregnancy complication where their lives are in danger. People are afraid that more unwanted children are inevitably going to end up in poverty and in the system, um, victims of abuse. People are afraid that without these social safety nets already in place to support women and children, um, you know, that, that we're just going to increase suffering. We're just going to put trauma on top of trauma. Um, you know, people are afraid that we're not forcing fathers who are so easily able to walk away. We're not forcing them to be accountable. People are afraid, Destiny, that all of this it's just a charade and it's yeah. not actually pro-life. It's just pro-birth. So how many of these fears are founded? How many are unfounded? I think obviously when it comes to the medical stuff, so much of it is fear mongering and it's terrifying yes. me to see this narrative because I think there are women who are maybe not going to go to the doctor if yeah. you know they're oh. afraid they're having an ectopic pregnancy. They're not going to know what's happening. Yes. Facts um, over fear mongering, please go to the doctor and then yeah. also physicians save a woman's life in front of you. Like if you're worried yes. about losing your medical license for performing, you know, uh, an abortion, which I'm sorry, but a topic pregnancy is not that, and, you yeah. know, if a woman is, has sepsis, like these are right. not the Say same it things. Yes. And I, yes. I feel like doctors know this. So I don't yes. know if it's just the internet is trying right. to make it seem like they don't yeah, Every yeah, post yeah. seems to be anonymous. They never tell you the state, like things like that, because there are exceptions for all of these things, but there are other states that don't have exceptions for certain things like rape and incest. And I know that these are things that a lot of people are very frightened by. And the conversations need to be pushed further. The bills needed to be written with doctors, you know, participating in these things so that the language was just crystal clear so that everybody knew what was actually allowed. And I don't think it was, I think that this happened very quickly. Like we, we kind of knew Roe was coming because of the leak, but then the day it happened within 30 minutes, it was like 13 states immediately had these trigger laws go into place and researching them and finding out, like it just led to such mass confusion. And it led to something where it's like, everybody wanted, like that, that doesn't sound right, but I don't actually know. And how do I find it? And it took people a couple of days to actually find the pieces of these bills and compile them and put the information out there. But in the meantime, you had a lot of people who were incredibly scared. And I think it's valid. I, I think that these fears are, need to be felt and understood. But I also think 
rather than them just dividing us, which I think that's what it's done yeah. to such an extreme, like it's coming together and making sure that these laws are ethical and consistent, right? Like if this is what we have and we have to work with it, that's what we need to do. But I will say that, you know, to your point about it being a charade, that's how this feels in a lot of ways to me. And I've said now on the record enough to get kicked out of the pro-life movement. I don't think that this is about saving babies. I think it's about saving politicians. Like, I think that that's what this does. And so when we've got, um, you know, these states with trigger laws, and then you have a media that's very pro-choice because at some point we quit persuading the other side. It became all about, we're just going to take this away from you. Not we're actually going to change the culture and convince you of the humanity of the unborn and try to dialogue and get the culture on our side. So the culture is not on our side. So you have media that for the most part is, is extremely pro-choice. And I would say that even our culture right now, like there's 60% in the middle who believe in some restrictions. And so the pro-life side will claim them and say, oh, they believe in restrictions, they're pro-life. The pro-choice side will claim them yeah. and say, they don't believe in outlawing it completely, so they're pro-choice. Yeah. So the yeah. 60% in the middle. And I, as soon as the decision came down, I was getting pings and texts and calls from all these people who I've known for years, some of them family members that I've known for like, you know, my whole marriage, we've never talked to about abortion and they're hitting me up and they're just like, I can't believe this. So it took a bunch of people who were kind of in the middle and on the fence. And I feel like a really radicalized them. And they were out marching with the women's March on Saturday and they're suddenly vocally opposed to this. So where we had this common ground, it definitely felt like that disappeared overnight. And people who have respected the work we've done, were coming out for us. And I'm like, I was mm. a never Trumper. I opposed Kavanaugh. Like, I don't know how this is on me just because I oppose abortion, but we were kind of like the nearest punching bag. And mm. I think we, we just lost a lot of common ground in, in the, you know, kind of extremeness of what happened. And ultimately with, with the culture, I feel like being on a more pro-choice side at this point, um, with the media being on a more pro-choice side at this point, I, here's my, my prediction for how it's going to go down. And unfortunately I've been the canary in the coal mine a few times on stuff like this. Mm. And I am, I'm not a smart person, but I've been right every time. And this is what scares me. I think it's just, it's literally because I watch enough Instagram that I'm plugged into like what's going on that I tend to be right about this. So I think first of all, abortion pills are going to become the solution for everything. And I think we're going to see massive horror stories of people taking them well beyond, you know, the period you're supposed to, um, having horrific outcomes. These are all going to make headlines. Every story of, you know, a child rape survivor, right? Every story of um, a woman being abused and like all of these things are going to just cover our media for however long. And then we are going to see this massive pushback. So this victory that all the pro-lifers are celebrating, I actually think, you know, you're celebrating winning the battle, I think the war is going to go the complete other way. I think this is all going to lead to the codification of Roe. And so they're cheering for something that literally created the process that is going to codify abortion access or not codification of Roe, but codification of abortion. I think that is ultimately what's going to happen because we didn't do it the right way. We, we did it the, the fast sloppy way. And the irony is for so many people in this movement, especially the ones who've been around pre-Roe, this was like the impossible dream. They never thought they were going to get here. They never thought this day was going to come. And I feel like I have to be the bearer of bad news that like, that was honestly the easiest part. Like of what you're talking about, creating an abortion-free society, that was the lowest rung on the ladder. Like we are talking about I mean, changing the foundation of our systems, which is such a huge undertaking. And, you know, I think even you know, the, the feminist side, when they talk about, oh, we want to smash the patriarchy. Like, first of all, what does that even mean to you guys? Cause when I'm talking about smashing the patriarchy, I'm literally talking about crumbling the foundation of a world that was built for men by men that does not accommodate female fertility. And I'm watching you guys play patty cake with the patriarchy nonstop through abortion through and abortion. saying, okay, right. yeah, yeah. Well, we'll take that. That's great. Oh, I need to, you know, eliminate my child in order to operate in the workforce and participate in academia. Like, that's fine. I'll do that. Right. No, that's bullcrap. Like, right. I, when I talk about smashing this, like, I mean, truly taking it down to the studs and 
that's what the pro-life side, the feminist side, all of us have to do to create a world that is truly right. equitable for women and children. Yes. And I don't think anybody's ready to do that work. Yeah. You know, this might be overly simplistic, but for, for me, I feel like there is such a lack of compassion. And if we could just get underneath how we feel about people who have abortions, then, because I think that there's this misconception that pro-lifers have that, that seems to think that women who are seeking abortions are doing so as a first choice instead of a last resort. And I feel like that lack of understanding about what's going on can create this really um, hostile posture around the movement. And now is a time that we need more compassion than ever. We need so yeah. much more compassion around this. And I am hoping, I am so hopeful that this victory um, will let us kind of sit back and kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, now. Now, I agree with you that that was kind of the lowest hanging fruit and we should have been doing more foundational work um, to maybe then get there. Like, let's change hearts and then laws, you know, like uh, because I'm a Christian, I'm thinking that Jesus didn't didn't come here and, and go after Caesar and start making laws. That's not what he did. He changed culture by changing hearts first. Um, but it is my hope that even still, um, because redemption's always messy, that there's still a way out with, okay, this happened. So now that we've won, let's take a deep breath. And now let's start by putting some of these, these systems in place because, you know, here we get representatives, they can, um, make laws that protect lives. Great. What are they like? What needs, yeah. what needs to happen? Well, and again, not just control abortion, but protect. So if there were ways that they could have lowered the abortion rate in their States for the last 49 years, which there were, let me let you know. Yeah. Secret. yeah. There were, there were yeah. so many ways that they could have done that. Yeah. They chose not to. That's why I'm saying this is a control thing, not a protection mm -hmm. thing, mm -hmm. because if you truly cared about saving children, you would have extended Medicaid. You would have um, created a housing system that works yep. for these women who now Affordable find housing. themselves, yep. um, single mothers. And, you know, so we say that our four things are are um, healthcare in rural areas is especially a, a really big deal. Healthcare, housing, transportation, childcare. So these are all things that if the government actually wanted to help, like they would have been focused on these things and working on them. And they haven't. So it, it does feel like it got you. Uh, but to your point about post-abortive women, I think that you're exactly right because that was the reason I actually um, did like a Instagram live as soon as the decision came out. And I started tearing up when I was talking about the fact that I couldn't imagine the position that a lot of women who are post-abortive, like how they feel right at that moment, right? Because I think people talk about the stigma of abortion all the time. I don't think it's a religious stigma. I think it's a biological stigma. I think mm -hmm. we inherently know yeah. this is only happening in a broken system. And yeah. I'm going to butcher this quote, but there's something from Frederica Matthews Green where she talks about animal habitats. If you yeah. were looking at an animal habitat and you saw, mm -hmm. you know, the mothers, you know, killing babies like this happening, like you'd be like, there is something wrong in wrong. their environment. Like this doesn't happen in a peaceful, natural order. This is something that happens from like a broken system. And I think that that's what so many of these women have been feeling. And so they made this heart-wrenching decision. And I do think it was really complicated. And as much as people want to compare it to a root canal or something else, like we know it's not, we know this is a uniquely different situation. And there is this fear that they've had, but for the last 49 years, they've had a government that has said, it's okay. They've had a feminist movement that said, it's just a clump of cells. Everybody's doing it. It's no big deal. And so in one moment, they had this entity that people have come to trust the Supreme Court saying, no, it's actually not okay. Not only did you, are you ending the life of a child, you're in, in ending the life of your own child. And could you just imagine like, if that's yeah. something that you've been burying down inside of you, how horrifying that would feel in that moment that you even have to consider that maybe it wasn't just a clump of cells, right? And I do think that we should always assume we are talking to women who abortion is part of their story at all times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it's not even their own abortion. It's their mothers, their sisters, their best sure. friends, but we all love somebody who's had an abortion, yes. right? Like we all know someone who's been touched by this. And when you realize that for them, it's the way I always describe it. Like imagine this gaping wound on someone's arm. And then we just put a bunch of band-aids on top of it. Didn't clean it out. 
didn't give it any oxygen, right? And it festers and it tends to kind of then move up and radicalize your whole body, like toxify you, right? And so you have these women who, the ones who scream in my face the loudest um, at protests, and I'm a very peaceful protester and I smile and try to love everybody, but I will have women who scream at me and I never get mad because that to me is their humanity speaking, because if this was just some other issue I don't know that that level of passion would be there. I think it's because they need to believe that this is not, you know, a child and and not their child. And I think the only solution to that is we remove that dirty bandage, right? Like we clean it out, we give it oxygen. And by giving giving it oxygen, you allow them to talk about their experience and not expect them to say, oh, I'm a murderer or, oh, this is, I'm going to shout my abortion. This is the best thing ever. I think that's the binary that the pro-life side and the pro-choice side put on it just ask a woman how she's doing, you know, how how are you feeling about this? What are some of the complex thoughts you have? And then just listen to her. Don't try to use it for some agenda, but just like ask her to share her heart. Because I will say my most ardently pro-choice friends who say I had an abortion, I'm glad I had it. If I didn't have it, I couldn't have done this, 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 like it was the right decision for me. I have those friends. But when we really start talking about it, they'll say, you know, do I ever think about the fact that I would have had like a 12 year old right now? Do I ever wonder if it would have been a boy or girl? Like, yeah, like they have those complex thoughts, but they're not allowed to express them because of this binary. They either have to be proud of it or, you know, call themselves something horrible and there is no in between. And I think that because I care as much as I do. That compassion that you're talking about is what opens that gate. It's what allows 100%. there to be that that middle ground of this happened and I'm grieving it. And and I think women have they've been gaslit to not be able like we have not given them space to express what this actually means actually. because we're always pushing this into this yeah. political realm and Gosh. it's so freaking unfair to women. Yeah. Yeah, that's real. Okay, so so at, clearly this is an all hands on deck moment. We are in an all hands on deck moment. Individuals, churches, nonprofits, government, everyone is called to step up right now. In addition to meeting the other side with a lot of compassion and space, what are some things that we can do right now, Destiny? Who do you so, want us to give money to? What do you want us what do you what do we do? Local, local, give money locally, find the people in your community who are doing the work, give money locally. Um, If that is where your excess lies. So this is kind of this thought experiment that's been going on in my head the last few months. And I think there's validity to it, right? So where do you have excess in your life? We all have some level of excess. So maybe you have extra money. Okay, go out and find the domestic abuse shelter in your neighborhood or your community that is doing the work that like has the stats to show that they have a successful model. They're protecting people. They're taking care of them. Um, maybe it's a food pantry. Maybe it's a maternity home. Just find somebody who's actually doing the work, not just paying to look like they're doing the work, but someone who's actually doing the work locally in your community. That's where you need to give excess. If you have excess money, if you have excess space in your home, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. it's, we have this room that we can either rent out for really cheap to a single mom or, you know, come let her live with you and be more than just a landlord, but like, actually that support Mm -hmm. system, like I had, like my mother had, Mm -hmm. like, and it's going to be hard because a lot of women, you know, in the situation that we were in have experienced trauma. And so it's not going to be this like rainbows and butterfly cakewalk where you just get to go save this woman. No, like Mm -hmm. there's going to be work involved, Mm -hmm. but if she has never had that type of love and support to understand her own humanity, then how can she understand the humanity of the child growing inside her womb, right? So like, we have to be loving people radically at this point. And I think that, so like I said, that could mean opening up your home, that could mean the car that you were thinking about selling instead of selling it. Why don't you give it to a mom so she can actually make it to doctor's appointments without having to take off work from her hourly job and take two buses across town and do all of this. Um, Or maybe the excess is your time. That's what it is for me. So when it comes to time, where can you spend it? Now, I don't know if you're somebody, you know, in a state that still has access who should go out and protest in front of abortion clinics. Please don't do that. Um, There's a great group called Sidewalk Advocates for Life, and they say we should be people, not protesters. So if you feel called to do any type of outreach on sidewalks, uh, it should be just offering women options. And you better be a calm AF person. You better be somebody who is just going to be loving and non-judgmental. Please do not ever be a psycho, like dressed as a grim reaper with like a bloody sign. Like don't, we don't need any of that. We're full up on that. And we don't need any more of that. So, but assess where your talents are. So 
maybe, maybe you're an introverted person and it's behind the scenes stuff. And so for that DV shelter in your community, you can do data entry. You can help them with, you know, putting forms into a database. Like there is something for every single one of us to give. We have some level of access in our life where we can help out. And I think that's what we have to start looking for because I maybe am an anarchist at this point. I'm not really sure. I'm just sick of waiting for the government to save us like at all. Like I would love it. Please do it. I'll be a socialist tomorrow if you actually do it. I love you. But I don't think you're going to. Well, it's just, you know what I mean? Like we've been let down. Like it's a bunch of lip service. And so these people who had evidently 38 is the year you become super (laughs) hella jaded. And I just, I'm so jaded and I'm sick of waiting for Uncle Sam to save us. We have to save ourselves. We have to pull ourselves out of the burning building. And I think a lot of people feel like, okay, I'm just this one person. I can't do it. But I was just one person with a MySpace page that got way out of control. And now all of a sudden I have whatever new wave feminist is, which I still don't even like, you know, I have an army of people all helping me work for Satan, I guess. So like, I don't know, but I know that when you start something, it can get really big. Are you going to have to cut that? Cause you have a great, no, no, I love you. I can't get enough. I love it so much. <laughs> there is just something all of us can do. So either find people who are already doing it, or if you want to do something different, you have a unique idea for how to help go see if Tom's still around, start a MySpace page and then, you know, build your army. Oh, destiny. Gosh. Okay. What are you hopeful for? <laughs> what do you feel hopeful for? I feel ho- I probably qualify for a Xanax prescription now, finally, uh-huh. which I never have before. So I'm hopeful yeah. for that. Um, except I don't actually like Xanax. I've tried it. Highly, I was going to say highly recommend. <laughs> we can talk. No, meds. It, it <laughs> we can me talk nauseous. meds in a minute. I, I can't do it. It makes me nauseous, but uh, yeah, I'll find, I'll find something to even me out one of these days. I just, I don't know. I'm, it's weird because literally the week after the decision, when I quarantined myself from interviews and I'm like, don't talk to people anymore because you're just really raw and you're in a weird spot. I was like, why is new wave feminist even here? Why does this even exist? I made the mistake of already agreeing to be on this panel for Notre Dame though. So I knew I had to do that. And so I do the panel and it was a whole bunch of pro-lifers like us, you know, like the consistent life ethic, like really thoughtful pro-lifers and, um, and a lot of pro-life feminist icons were on this panel. And so I, Charlie Camisi, I think I messed up his last name because I tend to, but he's this amazing ethicist and just thought leader. And he, um, he had, he was talking about, there was a pro-life 1.0 and a pro-life two. So 1.0 was kind of like pre-row almost. And it was when it was a very progressive movement. And so, um, there was another guy on there who wrote defenders of the unborn. And he said, this used to be like, people would literally leave the anti-Vietnam war march and go to the anti-abortion march. Like we had this very big movement at one point and then politicians swooped in and ruined it because they ruined everything anarchy 2022. And so they came in and made it very political. And then it became something where it was like, we just saw the right caring about it. And we just saw kind of religious groups caring about it. So Charlie basically said, he thinks now is the era of pro-life 3.0. And this is when we're going to see groups that are consistent life ethic groups that are more kind of independent, secular, liberal leaning on certain issues that are actually going to be the Phoenix that rises from the dumpster fire ashes. And so I was ready to throw the towel in and I was like, crap, I guess I have to keep for life. So yeah, it's, it's hopeful. I think I've just always, I've always told people I don't run away from this because I want to, I run it because I can't not because I'm neurotic and I won't sleep. Like I sit and just think about all the injustices in the world. Right. And then I feel like I have to do something. Of course. So as much as I want to just, I don't know, take bars and become a pill head, I can't do it. I I know, I know who I am. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue being neurotic and continue doing this work. And then we're going to do it awesome podcast on burnout in a few months when that's we're right like officially <laughs> in the red it's when we're amazing. unconscious um when we're absolutely unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> but destiny i just i i really i truly can't thank you enough for your transparency because what your vulnerability allows is our motivation to step in if you were up here with your teeth dinging and, you know, dimpled and and enthusiastic, um, we wouldn't feel the urgency that you do, you know? And so you letting us in on, on your real experience as it's actually being lived is a fire underneath us to help you. And you are leading 
a really, really important charge and we're here for it and we're listening and we're crying with you. And I just, mm-hmm. I truly can't thank you enough. I, I, I know very little of the sacrifices that you make and, um, and they are significant. And I know there's so many more that I know nothing about. Um, I read this quote from an author I love. Her name's Jodi Picoult and it reminded me so much of you. It says, um, heroes don't leap tall buildings or stop bullets with an outstretched hand. They don't wear boots or capes. They bleed and they're bruised and their superpowers are as simple as listening and loving. And I just, I thank you so much for your example and your real example, um, not the slick finished example. Thank you a million times over. How do we follow you? Um, How do we hop on board? Can we, will you help me explain better the article that you wrote that was so brilliant? I I read it to myself and then I read it out loud to my husband and then he read it out loud to someone else. And we, we just, he finished it. He, um, he's very specific with his praise and he finished it and he goes, that lady needs a megaphone. (laughs) So yeah, that was a big deal coming from him. But, um, so, so tell us all that, where can we support you? Um, okay. So social media, but it comes with caveats. So Facebook, if you are a good Christian lady, I might say the effort a few times on there, please try not to be upset about that. Um, Instagram, if you're a heathen, uh, I say the F word all the time on there and we make vagina jokes and it's amazing. And it's like my safe space. I love our Instagram. So just new wave feminists with an S cause it is actually more than just me. Um, Mm-hmm. And then, well, actually the safest would probably just be our website. Honestly, like, so we'll just gradiate, like how, how, um, pure are you? And then if you, you just want to follow all of our trash, then yeah, the, the bottom line is probably our Instagram. I think most um, of my followers speak French. I think we're good. Okay. Okay. Well then, yeah, y'all will be, I, there's so much female anatomy jokes and period jokes and all that on Instagram. And I, love it. We've made the raunchiest community and I'm here for it. Um, but yeah, so just our, our website or any of our social media and, um, I the article, think, tell me just, how to find the article. I was going to say, are you, is this the, it's Notre linked. Dame one? It's yeah, it's linked in your Instagram right now. Um, well, okay, it's perfect. on your link tree and you recently posted about it. It's glorious. Okay. How could this okay. not be like, okay. How so could you be confused? It. This was like life's work. <laughs> Allison, I write so many amazing articles that I'm not sure which one you're talking about. No, no, no. Um, totally kidding. So yes, I think that's the one you're talking about. I think it's McGrath Institute, which I think is from Notre Dame. Like, here's the thing. I went to beauty school. I don't know why colleges are letting me do anything. Like I it blows so my mind. So, but I think that they're associated with Notre Dame because it's the people from the Notre Dame panel who asked me to do it. So yeah, it's on our Instagram and the link tree and it's, what is a world post row look like, or it's called something okay. like it's that. It's called something um, about post row and destiny Herndon de la Rosa wrote it. And I'm going to link it in the show notes and you have to read and it. Honestly, it's mid. It's mid. So you've built it up too much. I need to lower everyone's standards so they can read it. Be like, oh, that was delightful. It's fine. It's a fine article. Destiny, thank you for your time and your heart and your passion. I adore you. Thank you so much. I adore you too. This is a great episode. Peace. I can't wait to have burnout with you. Bye. (laughs) Friends, you might not know this, but I wrote a book. It's a spiritual memoir of sorts and puts a modern day spin on old parables that are still so applicable to our everyday lives. Judgment, forgiveness, evangelizing, heartbreak, joy. I'd love for you to grab a copy. Head on over to Amazon and look for Rock, Paper, Scissors by Allison Sullivan. Beefy, we're back. And holy moly, was that a heck of a first interview. Wow, wow, wow. That was one of the most powerful interviews you have ever done. Mm. Uh, I was totally overwhelmed. I feel like I'm still processing it. Yeah. I have so much to say, but um, I feel like b- before we should say or think anything, the most important thing to do is to just thank destiny for trusting us to see your fear. Yeah, I just think there's yeah. something so wonderful um, about a vulnerable, compassionate leader that gives me hope and humanity. She's amazing. Yes. Hope and humanity for certain. Um, I, you know, there's something to me, it's kind of like when a spiritual leader is willing to say, I don't know, Yep. It's like, oh, now I can believe you. Right. <laughs> like right. when someone walks around all certain all the time, like I just, I'm, so, you're just not believable to me anymore. And so sure. I loved seeing her wrestle in that way. Like I want, I want her to run for everything so that yes. I can elect her to everything. And I listened to her talk and I'm like, why, why can't we have leadership mm-hmm. like this? That is compassionate and clear thinking and convicted and consistent and not narcissistic. 
for the love, not narcissistic. Yeah. I mean, it's so frustrating that when it comes to leadership, the narcissists are doing pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what though? I think there's a difference between power and like worthy leadership. Oh, I read wow. something yeah. um, that, that recently that said that a true leader is not something or it's not someone that's compelled to be the first person to answer or to come up with an idea, but it's someone who is vulnerable and open to a change in mindset, just like destiny that allows them to see through the eyes of the people they lead. Yes. Um, I think oh she's my just gosh. definitely someone to follow. And it was such a gift um, that she allowed us to watch her wrestle. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that at all from her yeah. and um, not because she's not because she hasn't proven her, you know, willingness in, in the past. I just, I thought that she was going to show up with, um, I don't know, a lot of grand ideas and a lot of marching orders, you know, um, you know, there was this, as she was talking, there was this comparison. I didn't say it in the interview because it's not like a perfect comparison. And I didn't want people trying to draw too many analogies to like make the whole thing crumble, but, but Mm -hmm. I'll just say it here because I feel like I have a little bit more time, but um, I have some dear friends. They work in a ministry called Jesus said love, and they work with um, sex workers. And so there was in this, it was like this last little strip club in town. It was called, we called it the dirty sock, but I think it was called the silk sock stocking. And it was just, um, I know. And it was just a little bit of a black eye on our community. Like it might've even, I think it was next to anyways, it's just this really beautiful shopping center. And then this strip club. And so the community had been working really hard to get it torn down. And, and we finally did it's gone. And all of the people that were working with the women in that establishment, Mm -hmm. you would have expected this grand hurrah. And that is not what they felt. They were like, this just became harder. You know, it was like when it was there, it was very easy to identify these women who are likely being sex trafficked Uh, and we can do our work. And so it was just, it's just interesting. I feel like the comparison, while it isn't exacts, it's just an interesting thing of, of celebration versus, you know, thought more thought. Yeah. I I think we, we often can lose sight of the forest for the trees. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that often everybody has really good intentions and we just want to do something and we want to do it now, literally anything. So it can be now, um, because we, we have, you know, our hearts hurt on, on so many issues. Um, but I think that those types of solutions, you know, can sometimes be short-sighted because there's just, there's just no simple or quick solutions to com- to complex problems ever, ever. And that's why it's so important to like laser focus on the people that are doing the work, not right. people that are, you know, like sitting at home with opinions. It's like, who's doing the work? What do you think? Amen. So I will keep turning to destiny over and over and over again. All day. All right. Love you, Beef. Thanks for your hot take. Love you. Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for being here. A very special thank you to all guests and sponsors. A really special thank you to Taylor Schroll for mixing and editing. For more content, you can head over to Instagram at Allison M. Sully and TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. You can also check out Forte Catholic and subscribe there where you have a 25% chance of hearing me co-host. I am so grateful for all of the love and support that we offer each other here. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.